Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Pony Express, and more specifically, our little show within a show here, Fortress of Ineptitude, where we take a look at some of the forgotten and maligned comic book movies of years past. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Post Writer Editor-in-Chief Mike Levito, and I'm joined, also as always, by Post Writer Contributor Lewis Ryan. Hey, Mike. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're here because um, we we have another movie to discuss and uh movie in quotes yes yeah movie does feel like a strong word for uh what exactly it was that i watched last night because <laughs> um, it wasn't very good uh but it at least had the decency to be short um i'm speaking of course of the 1997 uh warner brothers DC Comics film, starring Shaquille O'Neal, Steel. Um, so, Lewis, I know you're a big Superman fan. Do you have any sort of, like, affinity or familiarity with the character of Steel? Well, Steel was a character introduced in 1993 in the advent of the Death of Superman storyline as uh, one of four replacement Supermen. And uh, he sort of developed you know, a following since then. He's, you know, one of the more prominent uh, black characters in comics, or he was at the time. And, you know, why did comics wait until 1993 to get so political? You know, right? <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, I actually don't really have a whole lot to say about Steel. He was in a couple episodes of the animated series, and he was good. He was played by... um. Michael Dorn from Star Trek TNG, and he's got that great Michael Dorn voice. Mm. But uh, I don't really have a lot of opinions. I actually haven't finished reading the uh, the Death of Superman. I've only like gotten like halfway through the last part of it, so I don't know how that tunes out. And I've I've never really read anything with Steel in it besides that, so I don't have a lot of uh, opinions about Steel. But it is it is interesting that you know. Given the the time frames, like I said, he was introduced in '93, and this movie came out in '97. That's a very quick turnaround, you know, to have a quote unquote feature film developed around a character, especially in that time in the '90s. There were a lot of um, interesting uh, black superhero characters introduced into the mainstream at that time. So it's it's interesting, and it's also interesting to compare this um, with uh, Blade which was a huge success and kind of kick-started a lot of things for Marvel and this kind of wound things down for DC a bit. Uh, it was also sort of like a black-led superhero movie. Yeah, I, I was wondering, too. I also don't have a lot of familiarity with Steel. Like, yeah, I, I mostly remember him from the animated series and, like, thinking kind of as a, as a young superhero fan that, like, oh, clearly, like, every every superhero must have their Robin, so Steel is Superman's Robin, right? Um, the, the only thing I've read with, I think, Steel in it was actually not really, like, the John Henry Irons version of Steel. It was the uh, the John Henry character in DC New Frontier, who's kind of, like, uh, reimagined, I guess, as this, this uh, African-American living in the Jim Crow South in, I, I guess, the 1950s or 40s. Um, who kind of vows revenge against the KKK. Um, but yeah, I, I was kind of wondering, like, is this the first, like, 
super like uh, superhero movie starring a black superhero. And I don't actually know the answer to that. The answer is the Meteor Man. Okay, which came out a couple years before this. That's uh, that's good to know. Um, I I've never heard of that. Is Meteor Man like based on a comic book or? Uh, Meteor Man was 1993, um, starring Robert Townsend, mm. who's like sort of a black filmmaker. He made a Hollywood Shuffle, which is coming out on Criterion, uh, the Criterion Collection, relatively soon. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't really have a lot else to say about that. Anyone else? Go, go do your own podcast right. about Meteor Man. Yeah. Um, looks like he's not based on a comic book character. But, um, yeah, but but it was interesting because this was released in August 1997. Also released in August 1997 was the Spawn movie, um, which is another black superhero. Um, Correct. He was portrayed by uh, Michael J. White. Also created in 1990. Well, I guess 92. So, but yeah. Yeah. So very interesting that like these characters got movies, you know, granted Blade would come out two years later, but they got movies before Blade, before Black Panther, um, before, I guess, you know, Black Lightning, I guess, if you, if you, if you want to go to that, or Luke Cage, for instance. Black Lightning was on the Super or Black Vulcan was on the Super Friends. Oh. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it, it's, uh, it is kind of interesting that, that this was the character chosen. Apparently, originally... Um, I guess Quincy Jones was a, was a producer or was in, uh, he's the first person credited. Yeah. He was a producer on this and he initially, well, first they wanted Wesley Snipes to play, um, seal and Wesley Snipes, of course, will go on to play blade. Um, and they wanted Shaquille O'Neal instead to play uh, a character named hardware who I actually, I don't think I'd ever heard of before doing research for this. Well, um, hardware, like I was saying, it's part of those characters that were introduced in the black characters introduced in the 90s milestone comics introduced like a whole slew of like black characters hardware was like the first one he's like kind of like iron man in a way Mm -hmm. um he's sort of like a guy who is like a scientist works for a white a white person owned conglomerate um edwin alva and it's like he's like underappreciated so he decides to go out on his own and he becomes like hardware which is like this iron man character and there are other characters like icon uh icon and rocket who's like a really great sort of take on superman like what if superman had landed in the south in like the 1860s 1850s Mm. and like just lived to the modern day and he decides to become a superhero sort of like an icon to like uphold the pride of like african americans and uh most famously there was a character named static you might have heard of oh yes that would later go on to like lead an animated series in the early 2000s called static shock um and sort of all this stuff was later uh, they kind of merged with DC um, later on in the 90s, and uh, they're sort of part of that. So, um, yeah, Hardware might have been Shaquille O'Neal, but I guess he decided to do Steel instead because he was obviously a big Superman fan, from what I understand. He has uh, the S Superman shield on his uh, shoulder as a tattoo, yes. so he wanted to do Steel. Which is d- displayed in the movie. Um I didn't know Static was introduced before the cartoon. I always thought he was like Harley Quinn. He was he was on TV first. Um, yeah. So yeah, Shaq, of course, the uh, the the NBA superstar Shaquille O'Neal. Um, before we get to the cast, though, uh, this was directed and written by Kenneth Johnson, who 
I did not realize uh, was also the writer and director for V, a show that you really enjoy. <laughs> yeah, we covered uh, V on a different podcast for this very website. And honestly, like, I, I guess I must have known somewhere, but like when I was watching the movie, um, like it surprised me like that directed by credit popped up and I was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> I'm going to have to talk about this. Um, yeah, well, Kenneth Johnson, uh, I don't think he dir- did. he direct V? He's listed as a director on Wikipedia. Um, he, he didn't direct the final battle. No, no, he had nothing to do, really, with the final battle. Yeah, he did direct it. Yeah, so Kenneth Johnson, big TV guy. Big, huge. Well, I mean, like, huge in terms of, like, he's just had stuff on TV for, like, decades. He created the Incredible Hulk TV show with uh, Bill Bixby. Mm -hmm. Very successful. Uh, Lou Ferrigno as the Hulk. Um, And then he created the V franchise in the 80s with the original miniseries, which um, I covered with an esteemed... um, uh, and slightly missing CEO of the Post Rider, <laughs> Mr. Lars Emerson. If you see him, please call the authorities. Um, which you can listen to on our podcast. The visitors might be listening. Our very first episodes. He did the original miniseries. Uh, started a whole, you know, hugely successful franchise, which sort of continued into the 21st century. And then he's done stuff like Alien Nation. Uh, what else did he? He did something else that I thought was interesting. Uh, did you mention the Bionic Woman? Bionic Woman. Six Million Dollar Man, of course, as well. I was looking at his credits this morning, and I was like, 1994 Baker Street, Sherlock <laughs> Holmes Returns, where I guess Sherlock Holmes wakes up in 1994. I got to check that out later. Yeah. Xenon, Girl of the 21st Century. Yeah, I. it's funny when I saw Xenon, because I was like, you know, this movie did kind of have like the production value of a <laughs> like Disney Channel original movie a little bit. Yeah, it uh. does. And um, <laughs> Don't Look Under the Bed, that's a scary Disney Channel original movie. Mm-hmm. But he's just had this like really long career. Yeah. Um, and this is kind of like his one stab maybe at being like switching over to movies. Mm-hmm. Back was when that was kind of like a thing, I guess. And in some ways, I guess it's still a thing. But like it was bigger back in the 90s. Um, and the results uh, kind of end up being a lot of TV <laughs> looking. Yeah. Yeah, this is um yeah, not is that a 6 let, let's 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 uh do a little comparison here that that I should have done before the show. So this had a 16 million dollar budget compared to the um well here here's a here's a good comparison. Yeah. So uh Pulp Fiction. Right. You would agree that's a, like a movie, right? <laughs> I, I I believe it does qualify as one, one of the most iconic movies yeah, of no, that decade. It's a great movie. Yeah. Yeah. One of my budget. favorites of all time. Budget for Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. $8 million. Oh, geez. Half the budget of this movie. <laughs> and this movie looks like it should be on TV. Yeah, it uh, it really does. And um, it really, I, it kind of sets in, I think, a little bit from the first. Well, I, I don't know if I go quite that far, but this movie opens with a like weapons test. But we, we first see, like, a tank roll on the screen. Um, and then these soldiers launch kind of, like, a laser at it. And, like, the the effects of the laser are okay, but there's also, like, a sonic boom cannon they use. And that looks quite bad. So I would say the cheapness is really on display early on in this movie. 
I was just thinking about like a real life scenario. If you had like one guy with that laser gun, mm-hmm. and he like he has to be close enough to shoot the tank, mm-hmm. and then the tank stops, and then like an entire tank crew of like four people go out versus that one guy, I feel like that he would lose. Yeah, yeah, you'd probably have to have some uh, some support people there. Um, so yeah, that, that's how this movie begins. We, we find out that John Henry Irons designs weapons for the military. Um, in addition to uh, John Henry Irons, one of his sort of like partners and it's kind of implied love interest is a woman named Susan Sparks, who he calls Sparky, played by Annabeth Gish. Um, and they're commanding, well, I guess he's, he's like a higher up. I don't know if he's like their direct commanding officer is a, is a guy named... Uh, uh, Nathaniel Burke, played by the Breakfast Club's own Judd Nelson, um, and and he he's a little evil. Um, <laughs> he's so evil. Yeah. He's what awful. uh, what what essentially happens is, well, we'll start with this actually. What what did you think of? So Shaquille O'Neal, obviously not like a uh, a trained actor. You know he. Well, now, hold on. <laughs> is a uh, professional basketball player, one of the greatest centers of all time. At this point, he would have, I think, like, just been, just signed with the Lakers, unless he was, like, he had just started with the Lakers. Um, apparently, actually, he uh, he did not actually have a lot of time on set because he was also playing in the Olympics while this was filming and then had to go to Lakers training camp in Hawaii. But uh, what do we think of, of, of Shaq's performance in this movie? Well, people like to knock on when athletes, you know, try acting mm-hmm. in feature films and stuff. And I think people are too harsh because they deliver some of the funniest performances ever committed to film, usually um, unintentionally. Um, but uh, Shaq was there. I think Shaq was honestly like fine. Yeah. There wasn't a lot there, but I mean, they made the wise decision to cast him opposite Annabeth Gish, who's obviously there as like, we need to pair him up with like a really, really good actor mm-hmm. um, to make him stronger, a la something like Jerry Seinfeld and uh, Jason Alexander mm-hmm. on Seinfeld. Um, and I think the results are okay. There wasn't a point where I was like, man, this Shaq guy is terrible. Yeah, I mean, you can tell he's not like a natural actor, but he isn't um, like truly terrible, I would say. Like, they're, they're way, way worse. Like, we... <laughs> Last year, we recorded a podcast about Studio 666 starring the Foo Fighters. Like, Pat Smear of the Foo Fighters was a much worse actor than Shaquille O'Neal is in this movie. Um, yeah, that, that yeah that was a bad movie. Yeah. Um, Annabeth Gish, I, again, I don't think she's very good, but I also think this Whoa. is... Whoa. <laughs> um, at least not in this movie. She's fine in the West Wing, but... Um, you know, I think it's also partly a situation of just... They're not really given, like, great material to work with either. Um, they're kind of, like, signature, like, uh, secret handshake as they just do, like, the E.T. phone home thing to each other. Um, that's, that's how you can tell that they're close. Um, but but basically, there there's these two weapon designers and testers for the government. Um, they're out in the field testing weapons. A unnamed senator comes to... Uh, to 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 ch- check out what's going on um you know these are very effective kind of like non-lethal sort of like minimizing collateral damage weapons right um that seems to be 
John Henry's goal is that he, he, you know, he wants to kind of like end wars quickly or whatever. Um, and they're testing the sonic cannon. Um, and it has, you know, a very helpful sort of like, uh, calibration switch that has, you know, it goes from green to red. And if it's red, it means it's too powerful. Um, and Judd Nelson playing Nathaniel Burke decides that they're going too slowly. So he moves it all the way up to red, um, uh, while he's about to fire it. And then Jack yells, no. And then he fires the sonic boom and it like, it, it destroys like a building, but then it bounces back. Um, and then, uh, you know, a bunch of, uh, pieces of the building fall on a bunch of people, kills the, uh, the senator uh, crushes the spine and legs of Sparky um, and leads with Burke, I guess, getting court-martialed. Um, yeah, he's brought before the JAG yeah. and he's uh, court-martialed. I find it hard to disagree with you there, Mike. That is exactly <laughs> what happens in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, appropriate that it's the JAG because, uh, uh, what's his name? Robert, Kenneth Johnson would end up directing a few episodes of JAG. Um what what did we think of of I guess did you if if there's anything else you want to say about Annabeth Gish what did we think of Judd Nelson as this villainous character as well He's so evil. <laughs> He's so evil. He could play Ron DeSantis, don't you think? Yeah, he kind of looks I was also thinking like he might be the right age to play like uh I'm currently reading Reign of Terror, which is uh Spencer Ackerman's book about the war on terror. It's very disturbing. He could also, like, maybe... Like, he doesn't really look like him. But he might be, like, the right age to play, like, Michael Flynn, who was this, like, you know, the crazy general who became Trump's first NSA director before. Turns out he was also, like, a Russian and Turkish spy. Um, I, it's, like, that level of character where it's like, why are you even in the army? Like, it just kind of seems like you don't have any ideas and you just want to, like do like miscellaneous just like evil violent things which i guess if you're in the army you get to do violent things but um yeah he's pretty evil pretty quick i thought this was like did, did what did you think like did, were you intrigued by this setup or, or were you kind of like oh this is this is sweaty no i mean i was i was watching it um <laughs> i was enjoying it. it's very comfortable watching yeah after this movie like, we were talking about, um, uh, last time we talked about the Lost Fantastic Four movie, mm -hmm. and how I was saying, it's like, if we, if you and I had, like, made it, and we were, like, showing it to friends and family, they would be like, oh, this is bad. Right. But it's like, if we made this, they'd be like, <laughs> oh, that was pretty good. Good job, son. Yeah. It, it kind of reminded me of, um, have you watched Paul T. Goldman? Oh, uh, yeah, I watched the first episode. Okay. The, there, there are, like, elements, like, obviously this, the even though the production value of this movie is not high, like, you know, they, 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 uh, spoil minor spoilers for Paul T. Goldman. They end up filming like action scenes of his script and like the way they're kind of like shot and set up and kind of like acted out actually reminded me a little bit of Paul T. Goldman where it's like, I mean, this is like technically like coherent, but it's also like, you know, a little like wooden and I guess sort of like, uh, cliche is kind of how i felt about a lot of this movie um but you're right it's not like it looks like it, it, it it's professionally made just just not with a lot of uh 
just just not well i guess <laughs> it's like you know prof- it's technically competent i mean it looks yeah. like they shot for nine days in vancouver and this yes. is supposed to be the pilot of the weekly steel tv show yeah it it, it really does um so after this whole incident, uh, John Henry Irons decides that he's done with the military. Um, he retires or quits or whatever. Um, uh, and he, but first, <laughs> he, so this is like the one, we were talking about things that like made us laugh from the uh, the, the fan, Lost Fantastic Four movie. Uh, one thing that actually made me laugh was when he goes to visit Sparky in the hospital. <laughs> and uh, he's talking to her and she's like, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll come visit you once I get back on my feet. And Shag glances up at the nurse, and the nurse just, like, shakes her head. <laughs> like, no, she's wrong. She's not going to walk again. Um, yeah. That was a weirdly comedic moment. Yeah. And then uh, he's like, oh, I'm going home. He doesn't really say where home is, and it's kind of hard to tell. As someone who's not very familiar with, with the highways of California, it was difficult for me to tell that home for him was L.A., and I found I found that to be like a very bizarre sequence where we get like, uh, well, you can tell that he's going to like the hood because they're playing uh, Young MC's "Bust a Move," the first rap single to ever make it to number one on the Billboard charts. Um, but there's just like kind of like these these shots of like him in the back of a limo, and then like a shot of a plane flying, and him kind of bobbing his head to the music, and it's all a little weird. Um, he gets to LA. We we get the first of what will be, uh, I believe, three free throw jokes. I don't know if Joe this loose, but Shaquille O'Neal not good at shooting three th- free throws. Um, Mike Levito not good at pronouncing free throws. <laughs> yeah, apparently it's too many th and th. Um, so he he gets to LA. Um, but we also like while that's happening, we also see Burke go to like a a. Uh, like a an, uh, an arcade. He also flies to LA. He fl- also flies to LA to go to an arcade that seems like it's like as big as a casino. <laughs> um, to meet with this guy whose name I didn't catch. Is it like Danny or something? Like, did you? Uh, uh, isn't it? It's like he's not listed on Wikipedia. His, his company case. is like David Co. You know, it's Dantastic, I think. Yeah, so it must be Dan. Um, who turns out, in addition to running a very, like, like I said, casino-looking arcade, um, is also like a gun runner. Um, and it turns out that Burke, uh, before he was kicked out of the military, uh, absconded with... Um, a, a compact disc that I assume has some kind of information that lets them... A uh, micro diskette. Oh, excuse me. Um, that I assume lets them uh, abscond with some uh, military technology. This this is, a, this is a good movie for, like, obsolete 90s technology um, because Shaq does use a phone booth in at least one scene in this movie. Um, but, yeah... Um, I wish that arcade was still around. Me too. Arcades are fun. I, I wish there were more of them. You have like barcades in, in, in the city and stuff, and those are well, all well and good, but um, arcades are dope. I love them. It's like I hate when you go and there's just a bunch of kids there. Yeah. Like, yeah. Get like, out of the way. Don't they know this is like important adult stuff that I have to play the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game 
they don't understand the importance of. Um, there was, did you, okay, so we, we grew up in like the same area. Did you ever go to the Florham Park roller rink? Uh, yeah. Did you, be. did you ever play the X-Men video game? Uh, I'm sure I have. They had, they had, they had this cabinet game, uh, from clearly based on the nine like the nineties cartoon. Um, and you could play like for like four people and it was like a side scroller, like beat em up type thing. It was, it, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I enjoyed playing as Colossus. Um, Anyway, uh, so the character is a uh, big Willie Daniels played by Steve Matilla. Okay, he he doesn't he look like um, the uh, the Foggy Nelson from the Daredevil TV show? A bit, yeah. He has like the same hair, kind of, uh, but his is a little stringier because he's because he's evil. Um, so yeah, that that's kind of the setup. Uh, we get uh. We're introduced to what I assume is John Henry's younger brother named Martin. Uh, that's, is that Ray J? Yes, that's Ray J. Do, do, you, uh, do you know the other high-profile movie Ray J starred in? Maybe. Uh, I think I know what you're going to say. <laughs> the Kim Kardashian superstar? Yeah. Uh-huh. The, uh, the, uh, the Kim Kardashian sex tape. I didn't realize Ray J was as young as he is. Like I didn't realize that he would be like 16 when this movie came out. Um... But he plays a child in this. Um, and we're also introduced to John Henry's grandmother, who uh, is making a souffle. So she wants everybody to be very quiet. It's been a long time since I saw one of those souffle gags, you know? I feel like we don't get that in TV a lot anymore. Yeah, you would think from that people would be making souffles a lot more in real life mm-hmm. when you're watching this growing up. Yeah. But it never happens. But yeah. um, one thing that did strike me about this is how it's like, because Kenneth Johnson mm-hmm. is obviously not a black fan. <laughs> yes. Um, and it's like watching these scenes, this isn't really like reflecting like the black experience. <laughs> when you're like walking in, it's like, be quiet. I got a souffle in the oven. It's just like so devoid of like anything resembling like reality. You know? You know what I'm saying? Well, I, neither of us are black, so I, 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 I <laughs> um, no, yeah, I, I mean, like, this is like something you could, you could easily swap out, like, for white yeah. people, and something you could, you, I could imagine you very easily, like, writing down on a piece of paper, Mike, um, <laughs> it's like that Family Matters, where it's like, it was written by a bunch of Jewish screenwriters or whatever about, like, a black family, but it mm-hmm. turned into, like, this weird show about Steve Urkel and stuff, um, yeah. and it's just like, that's, that's how I feel about watching this. It's like Kenneth Johnson just wrote some stuff mm-hmm. to fill out the pages on a scene. And um, here we go. I can't imagine Ryan Coogler handing in a scene like this right. for Black Panther. Yeah. Where it's th- like the queen of Wakanda has a super oven to make super souffles in Wakanda. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that would be a little strange. Um, yeah. There's, there's no really outside of like there being kind of, they name a lot of L.A. streets. There's really not a great sense of place. Um, well, I mean, they do have the gang subplot, but it's done in a very superficial way. Yes, yeah. A- according to Wikipedia, uh, Kenneth Johnson did take a copy of the script to South Central Los Angeles and spent a day with a group of kids to try and get some of the slang right. And to the extent that I'm familiar with, you know, uh, African-American slang from the era, just from, like, you know reading stuff and like uh you know listening to 90s rap or whatever like it's, it, that seemed like okay um but 
I believe actually, like, speaking of Quentin Tarantino movies, even though he didn't direct this one, like, apparently Gary Oldman did the same thing when he was shooting True, uh, True Romance. And, like, he was like, I, he, he went to somebody, he was like, I want this to sound like an, things an actual drug dealer would say. And the person just, like, made a bunch of stuff up for him. Um, so all, all, always a danger, like, as in, like, stuff that a drug dealer wouldn't actually say. So all, always a danger when you uh, try, try and do that. But um, anyway uh yeah so you mentioned the gang subplot so basically um uh john henry irons gets a job at a steel refinery i guess um where lots of very attractive women in hard hats are apparently just walking around all the time and, and ogling shack as he and being safe yes and being safe um i don't actually know how you dress when you're at a steel refinery but they seem to like be in like nor- two normal clothes like i feel like you should be wearing like a some more protective gear other than a hard hat and goggles but like i said uh never never been inside one of those um but we also get uh you know uh again like this like this early part of this movie like the editing is just very confusing to me because we also like we get that scene and then we immediately cut to like a warehouse where other people are wearing um hard hats and where like burke and big willie or whatever are like unpacking the weapons um and i couldn't tell if that was also happening the steel plant was happening somewhere else it was very weird anyway did you hit your head before you watched this movie i did watch it kind of late so <laughs> it's a very straightforward movie <laughs> i know it is but like i said that there, there's just some editing weirdness in my opinion at least like i did watch it at like 11 p.m so maybe that was part of it i don't know uh, <laughs> uh basically what happens is this gang goes and the editor for this edited die hard oh good for him his name is john f link he's literally connecting the story together he's <laughs> linking it all together through his editing what uh some nominative determ- determinism right there um i also did the roadhouse um and to be fair, I guess this looks like the second to last thing he did, so maybe uh, he was maybe, losing it. Maybe. Um, he did Cherry Falls. Never heard of that one. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, he also did Predator. Jeez. Um, this, guy's, this guy's worked. Um, anyway. Uh, these, 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 this, they give this gang these weapons. They rob a bank with it. Um, the, they, the, uh, it is intentional, like, they, they let it get recorded by, like, the security camera because they want to show off the capabilities to potential buyers. Um, Shaq sees this happening while he's out. He's out. (laughs) So, he's, like, driving, uh, shotgun in a cop car with a character who I don't think we really ever see again. Yeah, there's no, there's no establishment of how they know her. If they're like related or they know each other or anything, they they don't establish that. Yeah, it's a female LAPD officer, and Martin is sitting in the back, and it's it's they're they're driving to some like kind of like anti gang thing. It sounds like, but <laughs> um, this officer turns to Shaq and she goes, "Remember the last time we were in a car?" And he's like, "Don't talk about that in front of Martin," kind of thing, like implying that they like made out or like had sex in the car and. I'm just thinking, it's like, you know how uncomfortable that must be to be Shaq and, like, be doing that in a car? <laughs> like, 
<laughs> like that can't even be like like that's got to be like borderline impossible. He's just so tall and so big. Like I, I don't like the, the the logistics of that don't make any sense to me. Um, but anyway, uh, so they do. They yeah, they they see this happen. There, there's kind of like a shootout with the cops. Um, the unnamed cop friend gets injured. This 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 shakes John Henry Irons greatly. Um, so. Uh, especially because they know it's his weapons and and, and all of this. Um, actually, I'm trying to get the chronology of this right. I, I know, oh yeah, first he, he chases him to the trains, right? Yeah, he chases. Yeah, oh yeah. There's that whole train sequence. Uh, what, what did you think of that uh, that that sequence? Uh, it was shot and edited in the correct order. <laughs> I mean, there was. Uh, I. <laughs> Yeah, basically, there's this there's this whole like chase sequence like at a train yard when like they're switching and it's all dangerous and you, you got them like kind of hiding behind the trains as they switch. Um, he but, manages to fool the guy by uh, avoiding getting crushed by doing the old Buster Keat maneuver. Yep, fought falling in the door instead. Never explain how he gets out because there's a giant train car that's above that's like on top of them. I guess there's a door on the other side too. Um, he but just it, climbed up or he stood up. And he opened the door. I get, yeah, I guess so. Um, anyway, a wizard ha- did it. What's that? A wizard did it. A wizard did it. Sure. I thought this isn't Shazam. Um, he ends up going to like he confronts them at a bar. Um, this whole thing. Basically, what happens is he ends up uh, visiting Sparky again. Um, she's very depressed. She's in. She's a, been moved to a, a lesser hospital. Yes, in because um, she's a veteran. Yeah, for, for, yeah, some VA hospital, which seems to include both amputees and people, like, experiencing psychotic episodes. There's, like, a guy in the corner, like, babbling to himself. Um, she's depressed because she can't walk. He, uh, <laughs> he's trying to convince her to go out and, uh, you know, experience life again. So, to do that, he, uh, does he bursts, sha- bursts open the window. Yeah, bursts open the, the, the dirty windows, I guess, to make her look at the outside world. And then picks her up <laughs> against her will um, as people are cheering <laughs> as he just takes this uh, paraplegic and is like, you're coming with me now, and, and walks her walks her out of the building. Um, but he does it so he can bring her to his new like hideout, which is in some junkyard in L.A., um, which where, where Uncle Joe also also lives and works. Uh, Uncle Joe, played by Richard Roundtree of Shaft fame. That will be referenced later in the movie. Um, and they decide they're going to build uh, a suit of armor and some some weapons that will help uh, Shaq fight crime as the uh, unofficially named Steel. And we get lots of shots of his Superman tattoo um, and all of that. What, what do we think of the design of, of the Steel getup? Because it is a little different than how it looks in the comics. It looks like rubber. <laughs> it's a uh, steel. Yeah, it it looks like rubber, and it also looks like uh, I mean, it looks like stainless steel, right? Like it looks like um, there's like like he's got these kind of like chainmail parts around like his neck and his hands, and it just looks like a looks like they took like a colander, like a steel colander, and made it out of that. Um, his hammer is... He never actually uses his hammer to, like, smash something, if I remember correctly. Right? 
It just has like other weapons that he uses within it. Uh, if you're saying if he does he use it to smash anybody's head open? No, I just like I don't know, smash a car or like smash a wall or something. I don't know. Um. Well, if they did that, then the hammer would probably get damaged. That's true. Yes, it, I, I either the head would fall off or it would just bounce off of whatever it was hitting. Um. Anyway, he uh, he decides to go out. Kind of like, uh, I feel like uh, Sparky is kind of like a, was Oracle already, like, was Barbara Gordon Oracle already by this point? Because she has, she has, she's like very, it's like a very Oracle type setup for her. Um, yeah, which I liked. I really uh, liked that. Yeah, it was, it was kind of cool. I thought she was great. I thought she honestly like made the movie for me. She was like doing her best and she really like worked hard to, it's honestly like, she's like the, should be the main character in a way. She she goes through the biggest journey in this movie. Um, there's a scene where she uh, they're working in the junkyard and she falls out of her chair, and uh, Uncle Joe goes to try and help her, but then Shaq, Shaq's like, "No, let let her do it herself," and she triumphantly kind of pulls herself up, um, not by her bootstraps, but but with her arms. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, um. Oracle was already uh, a thing. Yeah, because I guess Killing Joke had already happened a while ago at this point. Well, yeah, but that isn't necessarily... That's not Oracle, but she was Oracle relatively Mm. soon after that in 1989. Point is, it's a very Oracle-like character. She's in kind of like a command center. Um, She can see what Steel sees and hear what Steel hears. And it was kind of a cool setup. Yeah, no, I mean, I was intrigued. Yeah. Um, So he goes out on the town to, uh, to fight crime. Uh, and he actually meets uh, the only Oscar-nominated actor in this movie. <laughs> John um, Hawks? Yes, John Hawks plays a mugger that he ends up kind of like pinning to a wall, basically, after saving two elderly white people who had just come from the theater. Um, where, where was he in Crime Alley? <laughs> uh, <laughs> many years ago, I wonder. Um, but basically, he... Uh, he does that. He he uh, ends up sort of like in the middle of this gang war between two sort of like uh, well, like one very like uh, I would say broadly written Latino gang, um, and and I think another gang is supposed to be mostly black. Um, we we get a couple of good action sequences. Well, good is a relative term. We get a couple action sequences here um, of him showing off his bulletproof capabilities. His magnetic capabilities, which I actually thought was like not a bad scene when the guys like chains are kind of like pulling them by the neck and they have to run away. Um, him running across the rooftops away from the police. Did did you did you enjoy this sequence? Yeah, I mean it, it was entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, felt very Batman esque. Yes. Weirdly empty Los Angeles though. Yeah, it um, yes. Cuz like we only had we only see like the same two cops in LA. Yeah. Which is a uh, probably how it should be <laughs> in the real world. But um but yeah. Yeah, it's uh yeah. And it's like he only there's like one elderly couple that he saves. Mhm. Yeah. Right? It, it, yes, there there is. It's an empty LA much in the way that uh the Punisher felt like it had an empty Tampa. Um, yeah, he saves an elderly couple, um, and so basically what happens is the police are, are now after him, right? Which, it, 
feels like a fairly um i guess maybe there's kind of this dynamic in in the 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 tim burton batman's like this idea of like it's a superhero kind of like uh working outside of the law and like being hounded by the police because of it feels like a little novel for this time obviously now i think it's very commonplace um and i guess it's maybe well, i little, mean what are we gonna say burke burke frames him right for um breaking into the banks right because they use the same weapons yes yes that's right yes because they're investigating because of the weapons and uh, they're not going after him because he's a vigilante no no they're going after him because they think he knows something about but then they also say because it's like so he goes back to his grandmother's house and she's like wants him to like confess to being steel while she's also making a souffle and then the SWAT team comes in and we do get a shot of the souffle deflating <laughs> and falling out of the oven. Um, but he's arrested and, like, put in a police lineup. <laughs> um, and uh, these 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 two... Which, first of all, just very funny to me where it's, like, you know, being, like, I can't seem to find... Like, th- this, like, over seven foot tall giant dude. Like, I feel like he should be, like, relatively easy to find. Um... But yeah, I mean, they have to put him in a lineup. Exactly, yeah. Um, but they, they bring the couple who he saved, and they're like, he was really very polite, he was great, and all this stuff. And uh, they end up, they, they do jury nullification, basically. They they know it's him, but they say, no, we, we don't see him up here. Um, and the one cop he helps. Doesn't yes, the one ho- cop either. he helps does the does The, the cop thing. that's not Reginald Van jo- Vel Johnson. <laughs> yes. Um, Didn't you think he looked similar to... <laughs> He did, yeah, he did. I, I was like, "Where have I seen this guy before?" And it turns out I hadn't seen him anywhere. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he, he did look like him. Uh, so basically, we get that um, steals behind bars. Yes, yeah, steal is behind bars, um, <laughs> and and to <laughs> is this? Um, no, this is this is later. But basically, we, we get to, to break him out. Sparky is very clever and calls up the like the the, the district attorney of Los Angeles, I think, mm-hmm. um, and gets it like you gets this kind of recording of his voice and then calls up uh, the 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 prison. Um, I thought they were going to be somewhat clever about him saying certain phrases and then editing it in, but I guess she just has a program. An AI program, much like we have today, that could probably just do this podcast for me. And uh, it just recreates <laughs> um, him saying stuff. Exactly, yeah. Which, and it's funny, too, because, like, they they say the phrase short notice, like, three different times within the course of, like, one minute. Because it's like she calls him, it's like, I know this is on short notice. And he goes, you're right, this is on short notice. And when she calls the jail as the DA, she goes, I know this is on short notice. So it did feel like they were going to do something with that, but they just don't. Um, basically, he gets out. Um, there's like, a, they, they robbed the Federal Reserve now, this the super-powered gang. Um, or do you want to talk about the hot dog scene that you referenced in your uh, letterbox review first? It was just that there's a hot dog scene. <laughs> they meet up with hot dogs. Yeah, and um, you know when you don't have a lot of money, you write great dialogue, and that's what Kenneth Johnson's <laughs> doing here. They he meets up with the 
Burke meets up with the head of the guy in charge of the purple gang. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess they never really established this, but maybe this guy doesn't eat meat. I, I, I stays away he, from pork. I assumed he was like Muslim. Uh, okay, Mike. <laughs> no, because like I assume that's like why he wouldn't eat pork. Um, there was probably a scene of him meeting up with the Prophet Muhammad, and that's why it was cut. <laughs> but like, that's I established th- he doesn't eat meat. I think Shaq like considers himself Muslim or, or has said that he considers himself Muslim. So, but he doesn't play that guy. I know he doesn't, but maybe he had some kind of an influence on the script. I don't know. Hey man, I think I'm gonna be a Muslim. <laughs> I'm not gonna eat any pork. Oh, you know what I'm saying? Oh ho ho. Yeah, Shaq sounds a lot like Elvis. Um, Is Austin Butler on the phone? <laughs> Let's get him to play Shaq. The story of a seven-foot-tall man who played basketball. He dared to dream. Um, But there's a scene where he meets up with this guy at the park. Mm -hmm. You know, it's nice and cheap to film there. (laughs) It's public. You don't need a permit. Um, And he he buys him, like, a hot dog. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I bought you a hot dog. And he's like, a a hot dog? And he's like, don't worry, it's turkey. Yeah. Okay. And then, like, 25 minutes later, <laughs> this is paid off when he's like, uh, I, you know that top, hot dog I bought you? It wasn't turkey. And then he shoots him to death. Yeah. But, but he goes, he has two, like, uh, great quote-unquote lines in that scene, Burke does, where, um, I guess, so Slats is the name of the gang leader, and he's bought, like, a new chain, and... Burke is just like, you can't, like, you know, flash around your new wealth. And he goes, <laughs> Slash goes, he goes, come on, man, you know I got a floss, which I guess means, like, how he would say flex now to, like, you know, flaunt or whatever. And, and Burke goes, you floss too much and, and your gums will bleed. <laughs> and then um, he also says, don't be the hot dog, eat the hot dog. You know, stay humble. Um, I can imagine Kenneth Johnson, like, on this apparently one day... Right. He spent in the L- L.A. He like heard the term floss, and then like the gears start turning in his head. <laughs> he comes up with the gum floss is like flossing, and then he comes up with the thing about the gums. Um, it's okay. It's a font. It's whatever. I mean, it, it's like he Burke goes on a similar trajectory that Robert De Niro does in Goodfellas, where it's like he's talking with people who are spending money when mm. they shouldn't be. Yes, but. I'm going to go out and say Goodfellas is a better movie than this. Yeah, that's true. Although in Goodfellas, they never do rob the Federal Reserve like they do in this movie. Um, Which is kind of like the second big steel action sequence we get. um, Where we have the... uh, We have the gang rob the Federal Reserve, which of course gets like lots of like media coverage. Um... even though we don't see any like reporters or television cameras, really feels like something you need in this kind of movie. They also just shoot down like a police helicopter with a laser. Um, but uh, we, we, we see, you know, th- like I, I think like Burke literally says like we're going to have like the greatest infomercial ever. Somebody says that. And then we see the people who are watching this coverage. And the first gang they cut to is just a group of neo-Nazis. <laughs> um, My jaw dropped. Yeah, I was like, oh my god. <laughs> like, this, I was not expecting this in this movie. Um, More innocent time, I guess, but... Yeah, I guess. And then we also get, there's like a, like a, 
I don't know. It seemed like a some kind of like parent, like South American paramilitary or something. And then also like it's like a like a Tony Montana pastiche on like a private jet. Um. But we, they, the only one they ever really come back to is the neo Nazi gang, <laughs> and they're like <laughs> this movie. Uh, they're they're all fascinated by the internet in this movie. Like every character. Um. It's like the it's like the big innovation for selling black market weapons is to do it online, and the neo Nazis are like, you can get this stuff online. And the one guy goes, yeah, it's not for porno, just for porno anymore. And it's like this felt like a kind of like a kids movie up until this point, but now I really don't know who the audience is for this. <laughs> this airs between eight to ten on NBC. <laughs> I guess so. kids should have gone to bed by now. That, that, that's a good for point. The, second half i mean a senator dies in the first 10 minutes of the movie someone's crippled mike jeez that is true um anyway basically um you know police which is this shack was cast in this movie because he was thought as more marketable than wesley snipe for like toys more family friendly so yeah i mean i guess a kid would probably care more about who shack is than who wesley snipes is um, but where's the neo-Nazi action figures? That, that's a great question. Um, basically, um, Sparky ends up getting kidnapped by Burke and his his goons. Um, they take her to like this. I guess it's like somewhere on like the docks, where uh, they're gonna sell these weapons to these people, including one of the neo-Nazis. Um, and Steele goes to investigate um he how does he crash through like the meeting again does he fall or something do you remember does he just burst through the wall he does but i can't remember if like he like somebody hits him through the wall or something like that point is he falls through the wall in front of this whole group burke goes ah look it's mr mr warman fuzzy himself which makes zero sense um and then <laughs> we do get, like, probably, like, the most evil thing Burke does, which is just, like, uh, shoot his business partner in front of everybody. And then uh, he goes on to loudly proclaim, I'm the only one who can power these weapons. It, it is it is kind of like a weirdly prescient scene where it's like, well, we're not going to actually sell these to you. We're going to basically make you subscribe to our weapon service because only we can, like, repair and charge them. It's kind of like... Uh, that's like the. Do you remember the whole Juicero thing? <laughs> no. Where it was like, well, it was like a juicer you would buy, but you could only use the Juicero products. Like you couldn't like use regular fruit. You had to buy these like packets filled with like magic juice stuff, and you put it in the machine. But really, it was just packets full of juice that you would put in the machine. It would just like open the packet and pour it in for you. My point is, it's like this is like proprietary technology thing. It's like it's like K cups. Like, you can only use K-Cups for a Keurig, but with mm-hmm. weapons. I don't know. This is a strange metaphor. Uh, I But I was just thinking about it. It's just like, this guy's so evil. Mm-hmm. He shoots his business partner right in front of all these guys. And he's just like, I'm the only one who can recharge his weapons. I gotta think, like, one of these guys is just be like, I should just kill this guy so no one can have any of these weapons. <laughs> right. He's clearly so evil. But I guess they're all just greedy. I guess they, so. They don't consider the risk yeah well he sells them on the idea is that it's like do you want to be the only gang slash terrorist organization slash militia to not have these weapons 
I'm like, you know what? Good point. Um, but anyway, weapons gap. What's that? Weapons gap. Weapons gap. Yeah. Um, he he picks up Steel's hammer and is like, I wonder what this big red button does. <laughs> and Steel's like, you better not press that big red button. He goes, Well, I, I think I'm gonna push it. Don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> he pushes it and then it 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 you know it sticks to Steel, magnetizes. Well, it's a magnet. We yes. haven't established that for the listener. It's a giant electromagnet. Yes, his suit. We we mentioned it earlier. Um. And then, uh, yeah, I honestly can't remember. I don't remember that much about what happens in this action sequence outside of. Well, Sparks uses her wheelchair. Oh like, my god, that's right. And shoots weapons. Yes, it. it turns out Sparks is like has is 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 packing, um, packing heat. Her, her wheelchair has, like, guns on it. <laughs> well, like, lasers, I guess. And uh, she kind of just, like, blows away a bunch of these bad guys. Um, she's so awesome. Yeah, she's turned her wheelchair into, like, a gamer chair. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, she, she re- really really gives it to him. But somehow, Steel and It's Martin... like, why be Iron Man when you can be Iron Man sitting down? <laughs> Yeah, you know? Modoc basically, I guess. Right, right. Um, <laughs> uh, or just like a more aggressive version of the '90s uh, Professor X. Um, anyway, somehow Steel and Martin end up uh, kind of like trapped, and oh yeah, the singer, one of uh, 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 Burke's goons, like throws a grenade at them, and then Steel has to pick up the grenade. And, like, has to get it through, like, this this tiny hole. And he's like, I never make these because Steel never makes his free throws. So it's this great drama where he throws the grenade and it, like, grazes the bottom of the hole. But eventually it goes over and it lands in front of Singer. And, like, his eyes go wide. He just goes, no! And then it blows up and kills him. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> yes, it's quite amusing. Yeah. The guy who plays Singer, Kevin uh, Gre- Grevois, Grevois, I don't know how to pronounce it. His voice sounded 80 yard throughout the whole thing. Um, but I couldn't find anything that says that he was 80 yard. Um, so who knows? Um, after that happens, Steele and Martin walk out, and Martin's like, hey, wait a minute. Are you John Henry? And it's like, what other seven foot five dude do you know? <laughs> like, I, I don't understand how it's that hard to figure out who this guy is. Oh, don't be silly. Uh, John Henry Irons wears glasses. <laughs> exactly. Um,. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, oh, and I forgot. Burke tries to shoot him with a laser, and the laser bounces off him because he's got a suit, and it kills Burke. Gets crushed under some crates. Yeah. Like this is Donkey Kong or something. <laughs> I mean, it's karma, right? He crushed a senator to death. And I, I would have preferred a more grisly death for him. <laughs> he's such an evil character. He needed like, uh, like when Dell gets executed in the Green Mile. He needed like something like that. I was gonna say, or just cause cause Steel has a giant hammer. It's like the scene in Midsummer when it's like the people jump <laughs> off the cliff and they have to finish him off. <laughs> Something like that, you know. Um, mm. But he dies anyway. Justice is served, um, and then uh, we get the next day the uh, uh, the this this colonel who was earlier who was like a friend of John Henry is on the phone with steel he somehow gets his phone number um but but he doesn't hear steel's voice instead he hears the voice of one arnold schwarzenegger and thinks this is just kind of normal i guess 
Um, I didn't. I missed the point of that scene. I missed the line. I think so. I didn't know what that was all about. It, so what I think they were trying to do is they were trying to basically like because the the colonel's like on the phone with him and there's somebody else who's trying to like I think triangulate the source of the call. And the idea is that like they're trying to find him because like there's still like somebody like has our weapons like we have to find out how they got their weapons all this and they still kind of suspect John Henry of like possible wrongdoing, and then. He's using like the voice changer to make it sound like Arnold Schwarzenegger to like trick him, and he's like, "Your your thing's gonna show that I'm in Cincinnati," and the the person doing the triangulation is like, "He's in Cincinnati, but he's clearly not in Cincinnati." And basically, they suspect it's John Henry Irons, but they they can't pin it on him. Um, so is he like a fugitive on the run? Because he did sort of escape from jail. <laughs> yeah, he did get out via fraud. Pretenses. Yeah, and um, I guess he. I'm not sure what the legalities of like building your own sonic cannons. Like, is it the same as like building your own gun, which is like kind of illegal? Um, it's a good question. I don't know what laws he's broken. America the free. What a joke. <laughs> um, but uh, it all has a happy ending because uh, John Henry's grandmother, Grandma Odessa, ends up opening her uh, black and blue, black and blue, if you will, sort of, I guess. It's supposed to be like a Cajun slash French Afro French cuisine. Yeah, um, she finally makes a souffle. Um, <laughs> uh, she finally makes the souffle, and then I forget exactly why this happens, but Sparky's like, "Oh, let me show you what I did to my wheelchair," and uh, she basically becomes like Ripley, like. Uh, or her chair like lets her like stand up to Shaq as kite, and then they uh, they they hug to conclude probably the the ch- the most chaste um, love plot in any superhero movie I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody applauds and, and they're all very happy. Eve, but they but they're quiet enough that they don't deflate the souffles, which is the most important part, of course. Um, and that's pretty pretty much steel. Um, did you like the part when when they were talking about the giant hammer and Richard Roundtree goes, "I like the shaft." Oh, I knew that was coming. Yeah, at first I didn't really understand what the joke was, and then I and then I did. Um, you didn't know that Richard Roundtree was the star no, of Shaft I, or I, um, I, Shaft I, or the movie <laughs> Shaft. I did, but for whatever reason, it took me a while to like be like. Oh, that's why they think it's weird that he said that. Um, I don't know why. It, it just... it fe- Believe it or not, some of this movie's humor fell flat on me. Um, but, uh, I like the Shaq's performance more in the opening of Scary Movie 4. <laughs> where he's acting opposite Dr. Phil. I, I didn't know there was there was such a... Such so a here, here's what happens. They wake up in a bathroom. <laughs> right. And it's much like Saw 1. Mm-hmm. Where it's like they're chained up in a bathroom, and then the jigsaw puppet comes out, and he's like, uh, "You're you're both gonna die." And it's like unless one of you can make this basket, mm. and like Shaq has the basketball, and like he keeps missing it, mm. and it keeps hitting Doctor Phil, mm. like whatever he's throwing, like hits Doctor Phil, and just using whatever's in the bathroom. It's very funny. Sounds funny. Um. But yeah, that that's steel. I mean, that's pretty much it. I, I enjoyed how this... So two things that stood out to me about this movie. 
Um, one, and this kind of like, and then maybe we'll talk about this like more in depth when we do like Batman or Robin or whatever. It's like, and maybe this is like in, in light of a movie like Morbius coming out last year is, is not quite as true as I think it is, but it's like, I can't imagine like a, like a DC or Marvel being so like, uh, irresponsible with their IP like they are with this movie, right? Like, the idea of, like, one of the studios just being like, oh, we'll just make this, like, super cheap movie um, and not really seem to care much about the quality. Like, we'll just, like, kind of shuffle it off and, like, put, like, this super inexperienced guy as the lead. Even though Shaq had appeared in movies before this, like, it, it's just hard for me to, like, uh, like uh, wrap my head around in a way. Um were you thinking well, the same thing or, or am i at all it's here? just a simpler time like they didn't spend a lot of money on this yeah relatively compared to batman forever which i don't know if you noticed was one of the arcade machines in the um arcade batman forever i did not notice that that that's a fun arcade game i've played that one um i i enjoy that one you can play as batman you, robin or have you played the midsummer arcade game dude once they release it i'm i'm there um Give me the hammer. Um, give me the... Uh, other, I don't think there are really that many other weapons in that movie, or other. It's all like poison and fire and stuff. Anyway. Um, but... But I also so like... They, we'll go they, on. They, they didn't spend a lot of money on this, so I'm fine with it. It's just very quaint. Yeah. It's just like, this is my... Like, I mentioned this last time, but like, they canceled Batgirl under the presumption that it didn't look... Um, you know, of a high enough quality to be released. Mm -hmm. And so, like, it could look like this, you know? I feel like this is something where it's like, if you saw this in the theater, you know, I feel like you'd be justifiably upset, you know? Because it does look like something you could just do on the CW now. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, Even at the time, like, I'm watching this, and I'm like, this looks like ER. Yeah. We And granted, ER was kind of like... I don't know if, like, ahead of the curve, but it was, like, a very expensive TV show. But, I mean, like, very well produced. But, I mean, this looks like ER. Well, I was even, like, like, it just felt, like I said, it felt like a Disney Channel original movie or, like, a Nickelodeon original movie. I was like, this looks like Good Burger, like, is kind of what I was thinking. Like, um, yeah, it's just, it's not a, it's just, it's just not, just, like I said, not, not a lot of production value going on um very cheap um but uh, what i do find interesting is that like they still did release like an like an original soundtrack for this um i mean the steel theme at the beginning is pretty cool yeah i i did like the score at the beginning because it it has this kind of like isaac hayes like black exploitation thing going on in parts um but like artists who appear are like on the original soundtrack include mob deep tevin campbell ice cube KRS One, Black Street, like these big like rap and R and B artists, um, and you just don't really get original soundtracks like that anymore. The '90s, I feel like, were kind of the high point for that that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, because uh, music's not good anymore. You're telling me. Um, who, who that, the, what'd you get? Like, who'd you get? to do like the superman soundtrack now the chain smokers <laughs> well uh, the uh um, on drugs no thank you <laughs> the uh uh spider-man into the spider-verse had like a really well-received soundtrack 
they got uh, Post Malone and uh, at least one of the guys from Race Rummered, Sway Lee. Um, and then Black Panther, like that original soundtrack was literally nominated for the Grammy for Album of the Year. Um, had like Kendrick Lamar and Future and I think SZA as well. Like a, lo- a lot of big names. Um, so I guess they do still do it sometimes, but they really kind of like pick their spots. Um, and actually like now that I think about it, it's really only when it is a black superhero that they really do it. I think because it probably just, they feel like there's more of like a connection to hip hop than if you were to make an album for say the Dr. Strange movie or whatever. Um, I guess it's something to think about more. Anyway, um, do you have anything else to say about Steel? Nope. Yeah, I think we, we've we probably given this movie more consideration than, than perhaps any other podcast has. Um, w- would you recommend people go see it? If you had a choice between this and like the Lost Fantastic Four movie, I'd say watch this. But, I mean, I guess really not. I feel like now we're... Uh, sort of like rebuilding like the levels of competence that a movie can be (laughs) starting from that so like there's the fantastic four movie which is like unreleasable then Mm -hmm. there's this which i consider to be releasable with a certain window of time (laughs) in terms of a theatrical release and then hopefully next time we'll get to something where it's like okay i can i can still imagine this being released in the theater today yeah this is releasable uh direct to video maybe but um yeah, I, I, I think I think you're right. This is like, it's not worth. If, if you've seen one bad superhero movie from this era, like you have seen Steel. Is kind of how I feel about it, right? Like the the Joel Schumacher movies are more notable. Um, Spawn, I haven't seen it, but from what I understand, it's probably like more of its era and like interesting in that regard. Um, this is just there's just a shack vehicle with with some cheap looking costumes and sets i I don't think you really need to explore it more if you're going to watch something starring shack um i would say you should watch the episode of conan o'brien where he builds like the tiny set and he invites shack and the guy who plays big pussy as his guests on on the tiniest set possible it's very funny (laughs) funny yeah um but i think that'll do us do it for us here on fortress of neptitude um like i said i'm your host mike levito you can find this podcast anywhere you can find podcasts spotify google Podcasts, itunes what have you uh please like rate and subscribe leave a comment leave a review let us know what you think about steel let us know also in our email inbox at contact we are dying for you to give us some feedback on this show we'd love to hear your thoughts um and if you'd rather reach me directly then you can uh, find me on Twitter at Emlevito or Letterboxd at Ameramike. Yeah, I'm curious if anyone has any childhood memories of Steel. I'd like to hear about them. Yes. I think that would be worth listening to. Because I can imagine someone maybe got this from wherever. Like, they watch the VHS, like, every other week. Oh, yeah. It's like, I feel like everybody has one of those movies. Like, maybe less so now with the dawn of streaming. But it's like... That was the movie, like, Van Helsing for me. <laughs> it was, like, I saw it when I was probably, like, 14. I was, like, this is the coolest movie ever. Even though, looking back on it, it's actually not very good. Well, like, one of them for me, um, uh, coincidentally enough, was, like, the original Super Mario Brothers movie. Ah. We watched that a couple of times. And um, it's it's crazy. So, it's like, how movies have changed 
with the advent of CGI and stuff like this and Super Mario Brothers. I mean, I guess that's what we're covering here on the podcast. Yeah. Like what we would put up with as children. <laughs> but I'm Lewis. Uh, I host the Visitors Might Be Listening podcast, which we mentioned earlier. If you were listening at the beginning, um, I'm sure you were if you made it here. And we covered V, the original miniseries, with, again, please contact the authorities if you find him, Lars Emerson. <laughs> We're very worried. Um, what do we do? Uh, For All Mankind, the Apple TV Plus show. And now we're covering the Planet of the Apes movies because I hate my life. Um, so please check those out. Write, write to us at contact at thepostwriter.com if you have any questions or concerns. I'd like to hear from you. Please. You hate your life, but you love Planet of the Apes. Um, so, yeah, listen to that podcast. And uh, thanks so much for listening. And we'll see you next time on Fortress of an Altitude. Bye. Steve!